is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are helping to shape the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Joe Grant. Joe is a highly accomplished professional ultra runner and all-around endurance athlete who's completed some of the endurance world's most challenging events. That includes several Hard Rock 100s, the UTMB 100, Western States 100, Bighorn 100, as well as the Arizona Trail Race, which is a 750-mile mountain bike race, the Iditarod Trail Invitational, which is a 350-mile foot race through Alaska in the wintertime, as well as many, many more. He recently completed the Tour de 14ers, which is a solo, self-supported, and self-powered link-up of all of Colorado's 14,000-foot mountains by bicycle and on foot. And for those of you counting, that means he climbed 57 14,000-foot mountains, all accessed by bike, in just over 31 days. But Joe's career as a professional athlete makes up only a small portion of his personal identity. He's a talented writer and photographer, as well as a voracious reader. He was born in England and grew up in France, so he's got a global perspective that gives him a unique point of view. He's obviously driven to pursue challenging goals, yet he's always been focused more on the process than the end result. His athletic achievements seem to combine his desire for continued personal growth with a genuine love of wild places and a conservation ethic. Because he's got such a depth of knowledge on so many interesting subjects, talking with Joe solely about running would only begin to scratch the surface. So after a rundown of his recent 14ers adventure, we dug deep into his thoughts on adventure, endurance, and pushing one's personal boundaries. We talked a lot about his upbringing and how his family and friends have helped to shape his outlook on life, giving him the confidence to pursue an unconventional yet extremely fulfilling lifestyle. We obviously talk a lot about books, as well as goal setting, daily practices, and his thoughts on conservation. I'm obviously biased, but I love this conversation and I really appreciated Joe taking the time to chat. I encourage you to check him out on social media and read some of his columns. I have links to all that and other info in the episode notes. So if you like people who are passionate, humble, deep thinking, and all around interesting, you'll enjoy getting to know Joe. So here you go, Joe Grant. So the way I've been starting out these interviews is kind of the normal question you probably get a lot, but when you meet somebody never met them before and they say, well, what do you do? How do you answer that? I say, usually I just say I'm a professional runner because I think it's like typically the easiest answer. Um, In practice, what that involves is, uh, you know, I get some money from sponsors. I get um, some money from coaching. I get some money from writing and a little bit on the uh, photography as well. And so it's, it's a little bit more of a a piecemeal, um, kind of job um being the outdoor industry is is a a tough industry to be in and um what i've there's there's a couple reasons for that one is it's difficult to make a living just being straight Mm -hmm. runner um because it's very performance based and you know you're either running well and you're getting paid to do that and in trail running i think it's a little bit broader like there's this kind of an ambassadorship piece that is is sort of required of of athletes um on a personal level i actually like that because it it broadens the the scope of you know intellectually um artistically um there's all these other things Mm -hmm. other than just being a runner you know and so that's that's kind of important to me to to stay engaged sure so the short answer would probably just be like i'm a runner but you know the longer one was it well there's these all these pieces that kind of feed into um making that lifestyle possible yeah and that's that is exactly the reason i wanted to have you on here and this is the first time we met but i followed your writing for probably i mean ever since i moved to boulder so over over six years i think five six years Uh and so that was one of the things i thought was so cool is that you're obviously an extremely talented endurance athlete and you're more you know as we'll talk about a lot you do a lot more than running but you also have all these this broad range of interests that i've kind of been able to absorb through your social media and your writing so that's what i wanted to hit on um sure i think Probably the, f- the first thing we could talk about is your most recent project, the 14ers. Yep. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, basically the idea behind um, the, the 14ers project was to 
Um, I, I, I'm fortunate to travel a lot for running and I get to go to really amazing places and, and I love that. But every year I kind of have this, uh, you know, I want to explore Colorado more. I have this so many things I want to do in Colorado that I always kind of feel like I, I push back to the following season. And, and the seasons are quite important. You know, the sure. summer, um, the high country opens up and certainly you can be in the mountains in the winter. And I, and I spend a lot of time yep. in the mountains in the winter, but it's different. And there's all these summer projects that I wanted to do. And so I think, you know, it started with kind of this need to sort of commit to a project, put it on the calendar and say, okay, next summer I'm doing this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, the inspiration behind it, I mean, the, the, the 14ers are, you know, iconic to the state of Colorado, um, and they've been done in, a, in a many, many different ways. Um, I like the, the sort of the, the style that Justin Simone did it in um, a couple years back, which was biking to the peaks and then, and then running up it. Um, so kind of this self-propelled, um, you know, way of linking the peaks. I thought that doing the record in a, you know, doing car to summit, uh, you know, car, driving to the trailhead and, and running up um, was a little bit logistically too um, involved for sure. me. Yeah. Um, and just a lot of sleep deprivation. Just it's a different different kind of style. So I like the aesthetic of kind of starting from my home, pushing off. Um, and, and for people that don't don't know how many peaks there are, so there are officially there are fifty four fourteeners, uh-huh. and there are four additional ones that are named, um, but that aren't um, recognized necessarily as distinct peaks because yep. of the difference between the 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 neighboring summit sure, sure. um so there's 58 um that are that are recognized yep. um with a little asterisk on those four yep. um i did 57 because uh, mount brass is close to the public okay um so in that group um and it's a contentious kind of thing but i just decided that um, there was a bigger implication to doing that peak um, that makes sense. at a community level that I didn't feel like you know I was entitled to it or anything. So um, yeah, so I did fifty-seven um, awesome. peaks, and yeah, so the idea was just to leave from home and um, tour the state, and um, you know go up the go up the mountains. And I liked the idea that um, traveling by bike allowed me to carry my gear mm-hmm. and quite a lot of gear. Um, you know that's it would be heavier on my back um, to, to, to basically transfer it to the bike and then be able to cover a relatively good distance yeah. um, 100 miles on a bike isn't that bad um, whereas on foot you know it might take you you know a couple three days and sure. that would be you know kind of moving so I like the fact that the bike allowed me to um, move slowly enough to appreciate things and to kind of experience things at a, at a nice pace, but also actually cover some distance and be able to, you know, get to the peaks a little bit more. Cause I didn't have you know, three months to, to and, take off. And so you were completely self-supported. You didn't have anybody out there bringing you gear, no supply drops or anything like that. I mean, you were, were you buying, like you go to a gas station and buy as many calories as you could. Yeah, exactly. So the idea is, um, I've sort of followed the, the, the bike packing, um, ethic of, um, of racing, which is basically do it yourself. So the idea is that anything that is open to anybody, like you can get a hotel, you can go and resupply in town, as long as you're the one who is getting yourself to that spot. Um, it, there's, there's a few, um, in this case, you know, there's there's definitely there's a few people that met me on the peak randomly. Sure. Like it wasn't so if it was a planned thing, I couldn't accept any assistance. Yeah. But if somebody met me just randomly at a trailhead that I didn't know of, um, kind of a trail ferry, you know, which was like, oh, here's a here's a half a sandwich or something. Sure. That that type of thing is okay. Um, but you, I couldn't call up a friend and say, hey, could you meet me here with. Um, some new shoes and um, so I like I mailed shoes to Buena Vista um, for the halfway point to, to pick up there and that kind of thing how many shoes did you go through just two pairs oh really so I, I wore um, I wore my um, I run for Scarpa and I, I wore their, their running shoe their lighter lighter weight running shoe uh-huh. um, that's actually going to be available next year oh, cool. um, the spin um, I wore that for the first half and then the second half I wore the, the Scarpa Adam which is a comparable kind of shoe um, nice and uh, yeah, so just two pairs of shoes, and then I had my um, and then bike shoes as well. Got so, it. yeah, I can't imagine the highs and lows you experienced in that. I mean, I guess you're if anybody's used to it, it's you from running you know hundred miles because I know in the course of a hundred miles you can have a million ups and downs. So, was there when you're looking back on it, are there is it was there a high point and a low point? 
Yeah, I think uh, there was definitely a lot of highs and lows. I, I wouldn't say that there was a, a particularly um, one high point that stands out. I think that there was there was there were many, uh-huh. um, and I there was a lot of peaks that I hadn't done, um, and so discovering some of these new areas. For example, the Blanca Group I'd never done. Uh-huh thought that was amazing um, the Chicago Basin down in the San Juans uh, the Elks I've never been there but I hear that's just spectacular it's absolutely stunning and it was just it was it was a monsoon so it was it was, it was raining um, it was, I was kind of in this complete white out uh-huh. fog I couldn't see anything uh-huh. but then there would be these little pockets you know would open up cool. and and so it's just a very it was a very cool experience um, the Elks too are, are, are really dramatic and I'd never never done any of those so there was, um, you know, a lot of highs uh, in that regard, just kind of experiencing new places. The lows, um, the, the, the start was very stressful because it was, there's a, obviously if you're taking off for a month, a lot of things have to line up, um, you know, in, in, in the rest of your life <laughs> to be able to, to, to take that time off. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty big privilege to be able to just say, hey, okay, I'm going to take off for a month. But it's also kind of a strain too, you know, um, yeah. in, in organizing everything. And I did okay at organizing things, but it was a bit like... You never know until you're out there. Yeah, yeah, and it definitely came down to like the last minute and I slept a couple hours the night before. Not because I was stressed because of the trip, but yeah. because of setting up everything to do the trip. Sure. And so I was hoping that wouldn't happen, but it did. And then, um, <laughs> is that pretty standard? Does it happen every time? Well, this is just a different, it's just so much bigger. Yeah. So it's logistically. like, it will happen kind of every time I'm, <laughs> but I, I have things more dialed, you know, say for a hundred miler, um, I'm much more familiar with the needs yeah. and requirements of the race. It's a, it's usually a day or so event. Uh, so it's, it's, it's just much more familiar. Sure. Um, leaving for a month logistically. Um, I mean, it's funny because the gear doesn't really change. The, all of that doesn't really change. It's just more the scope of how long you're out there that, that's, that's a bit different. So the start was stressful. And I had this time imperative to get down to Culebra Peak, yes. um, which is a private, privately owned peak in the south. Um, and there's eight peaks along the way from Gold Hill, which is where I live, mm-hmm. um, that made sense to basically... Um, How did, which way did you go to get down there? So I went up uh, Grinella Pass and did yep. Bierstadt and Evans, yep. and then went down to Pikes Peak mm-hmm. um, via Terial, um, yep. and uh, did Pikes Peak from Crags Campground from the back, and then went to uh, the Crestones from there yep. through Canyon City and then over to Westcliff and um, did the Crestone group and then bike down to San Luis. Okay. Um, and initially I had planned on potentially doing Lindsay um, from yeah. the east, uh, which is in the Blanca group. Uh, but I, I just, the time constraint there, I, I, so I did Hard Rock um, 10 days before leaving. And so for people that don't know, Hard Rock is 100 it, mile race, probably the hardest race, hardest real race in the world. I mean, when you say? I mean... I don't know. It, it's 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 a difficult hundred mile race. I mean, it's it's hard to compare. You know, there's a lot. Oh, yeah, of, you a lot of factors. It's hard to compare. But and when I think of that, I think that is the hardest organized event that there could ever be. It's. I mean, it's definitely a yeah. It's definitely a challenging challenging race. And um, but it's one that I really love and I've been going back to many you know mm-hmm. uh, for many years. And that's in the San Juans. And it just so happened my permitting for Culebra happened late. Um, it was really, really hard to get a hold of the person who was managing the permits. And so they didn't issue any permits for August. So July 30th was the latest that I could get oh, this so permit had for. to be there? So it had to be there on that day. It's a single I day. I wish use. I'd met you before because, you know, my the company I work for, we're listing that property that has Calabria on it for sale. You are? We are. And I was down there. And, oh, uh, that's actually great. That's a great news. Hopefully the new ownership is a little yeah. more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what we can do. But, uh, yeah. man, I wish I'd known that. I could have... Uh, done my best but anyway it, it all worked out perfectly yeah yeah it's, it was just challenging because you have this set day and there's there's and i mean you know they, and they they run the mountain so it's it's you know i'm just going to comply to to sure. to what the 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 restrictions are um but because of doing hard rock and having that set up and i was hoping to start in august but now i had to start you know um later in july still kind of recover from the race um which actually didn't go well, but anyway, um, 
my family was in town. So there was a number of factors that led to the start being pretty stressful and having these first five days getting down to Culebra being super, super intense. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like sleeping a couple couple hours a night um, and just really kind of going for it. Um, Because if you do miss, say, the Crestone group, it's another 100 miles back from Culebra to go and do that. So on a bike, that's quite a bit of, you know, it's sort of additional strain. Um, but it all worked out. And and so that was, I wouldn't say that was a low point, but it kind of started things in a more kind of hyped up, stressed out, stressed out way where, you know, the, the ideal of the trip is sort of this like kind of simple, you know, Oh, just kind of going and riding my bike in my backyard and going, going up some peaks. And so that was, that was a set the tone in a little bit of a strange way to start. Um, and then there was a lot of rain in the San Juans, it, the monsoons, thunderstorms. There's a lot of mental stress around, you know, when I was able to go up the peaks. Sure. So there's a lot of stop and go. And the rhythm was quite difficult because I would go up to tree line, wait for a storm to blow, you know, to come through, yeah. um, run up the peak, run off it because the next storm's coming through. And so there was a lot of like wait, you know, and then, and then pick a moment, go charge back down that kind sure. of thing so that was a little uh intense but the real the real low point sorry it's a bit of a long-winded no, answer no, I, love um, this vibe. I wanted to hear it all. yeah the, the real low point was um so about halfway i reached the in the trip i reached the swatch um so the southern southern part of the swatch after the san juans and so for people that don't know that's the valley from basically from leadville down to salida exactly yep yeah. yeah. and so the way my sort of route worked out was that I came out of the San Juans to, into Lake City. Mm-hmm. Uh, so left Lake City and it's rough. It's a little over 100 miles, about 110 miles to the to Antero. Yep. Um, so I actually wrapped around the, I guess, the north side of Antero the, where the road goes up. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, and what my plan there was to do Antero uh, well, and, and, and um, Tabuach and Chavano mm-hmm. as a... As a three together which i think was a, a good decision logistically sure. uh, but it also kind of marked the halfway point and also familiar terrain for me mm-hmm. so i think i just i got there feeling pretty good excited that i was kind of heading north and home and you know yeah. <laughs> like and 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 let down my guard a little bit and 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 so when i started up Tabaguash and shivano it just it, it wasn't quite as easy as i wanted it to be and yeah. I really felt that cumulative fatigue and, and, and so, and then Antero is a very uninspiring peak. There's yeah. a road to the top. There's a lot of quads and just, it's just messy, you know, it it's, um, and, and so I was just in a bad headspace really. And so I, it wasn't even bonking. It was just this core depletion of just <laughs> how many days in were you at that point? So this was probably, Oh, it's, you know, a couple of weeks. I'm not exactly, yeah. you know, give or take a sure. few days there. So, so, so it's right around, and it's, I think that is 30, um, the San Juans, I believe, a 20 is 27. When you completed the Got two, San Juans was 27. So those three kind of brought me up to 30. Got it. You know, which is right, right around the halfway point. Um, and it just, I just kind of felt like the, the wear and tear of that intense star, the, the, the mental strain of the sort of the weather through mm-hmm. the San Juans and just the kind of cumul- cumulative volume there um, kind of all came down upon me at once. Um, and the funny thing is, is I, well, I biked up to 12,000 feet um, to, to stage in Tarot, so it would be a little bit easier. I thought, okay, if I can get the bike up there, camp. It was a good good decision, but it was also um, really cold because you're above tree line, sure. the ground's harder. Um, didn't have a sleeping pad or anything and so it was that put and no tent you were just in a bivy sack yeah so bivy sack and sleeping bag which actually worked really really well as long as i was you know on the pine needles uh, you know under the trees and and most of colorado like that's fairly you know fairly easy to find sure um but on entero and and princeton both of those you can you can go up the road uh to twelve thousand feet and 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 so i camped there and both of those nights were the definitely the the coldest mm-hmm. and one of the few nights I actually didn't sleep that well every nearly every other night i was just so exhausted yeah. um and, and and i was quite warm and found nice little spots and just uh just went straight to sleep nice. so so i think that 
the 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 mix of just the accumulation and also just the um the familiarity of being back in like a place that I know so I kind of let your guard down a little bit yeah you do that and then you know exactly uh, <laughs> like this how big the climb is whereas when you're discovering you know it can go on and on sometimes and be a little bit demoralizing but it's also like new sure so you're like well you know oh there it is you know cool <laughs> whereas here it's like no I know this is the full summit or you know whatever yeah, it's rough man so so that was challenging and do you have any um, techniques that you've developed over the years for coming out of those kind of dark spots where your brain starts getting the best of you because I would imagine that's kind of part of your job is is grinding through that so is there a technique you use yeah that's a good question I I think for me a lot of it's actually quite um I, I've, I've I've moved uh, you know during the over the years I've sort of come to a place where I feel like I can rationalize what's happening to me mm-hmm. and so sleep deprivation makes you usually pretty um, negative and kind of like a little bit angsty and uh, you know you your body's fighting um basically the your recovery system you know and and you all you want to do is close your eyes and lay down and let your body just just and you're fighting that you're fighting that you're fighting that and i think the awareness of the process of what's happening to you is very helpful um, and this is something I, I really um, noticed during the Arizona trail race, which is a, a mountain bike race across Arizona. How many miles? It's 750 miles. And you did that? Uh, in April. April. Okay. And that was yep. kind of part of the preparation for this. Sure. Was uh, I wanted to do a long bikepacking race and, you know, dial in some of the gear. Sure. Um, it's pretty challenging. Uh, it was in a completely new environment for me in the desert. Yep. So there was, there was all these things I wanted to, to sort of practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very interesting, beautiful environment. Mm-hmm. Um, the ecosystems down there, like in the Sonoran Desert, are absolutely phenomenal. I've never been there, um, but I've heard it's just un- unbelievable. It really is. Completely and, different, but you, it's just amazing. Yeah, and you, you go from you know the desert, and then you move up to sort of Flagstaff into more of the high country, mm-hmm. and, and then you go to the canyon, you know, and nice. you finish with this crossing the Grand Canyon, carrying your bike on your back, and it's a it's a really remarkable experience. Cool. Um, but during that event, I remember uh, doing a lot of self talk around you're just sleep deprived, like you're tired, you're worked. And, and just having that little inner kind of conversation about what I'm going through sure. is, is, was really helpful. Being able to kind of remove your, look at yourself from a third party perspective. Yeah. And just like these people are just hiking. They're not you know, like next, they're not like out there to, you know, um, you know, uh, mock you or anything, or, you know, cause you're just like, ah, oh, you know, what are these people? And like, they're just out for a hike, man. You know? And, and I'm but, glad to know you get a little bit of that. Cause I get that in me a lot and I feel bad. So I'm glad to know you get it. Well, it's just, a, it's a strange thing because it is really driven by the fact that I mean, it's like trying to make decisions before going to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's best to just like, just sleep on it, see how you feel in the morning and then maybe make your decisions, you know? And I feel like because you're, constantly lacking sleep mm-hmm. your perception of 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 people and and and, and your or, or just anything really mm-hmm. is very warped oh yeah and and so having an awareness that you're in a kind of a compromised state mm-hmm. um is, is is pretty helpful and then it's trying to find i you know any any time i would lay down at night just really valuing those that 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 recovery like kind of just sinking in and not, and you're not distracted by anything cause you're out, you're out there like in the, you know, so you don't have, um, you know, your computer or TV or, so nice. or whatever it is. It's just like, I lay down, all my body wants to do is sleep. Um, and, and just, you sort of really, uh, I don't know, dive into that and really accept that. And so those, those kinds of, um, even if it's for two hours, sure. you know, it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's, that two hours is, is incredible yeah. because your body's craving it so much. And if you really focus on, you know, making it so that it's, um, I don't know, nourishing and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and, and, and helps you recover, then it does, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, Do you so meditate? I don't. Um, like, not seated meditation. I think there's a lot of parallels with, you know, things that I do. It sounds like, that, you know, a lot of what you're saying sounds like the benefits people get from meditation. That's why, I mean, I guess it is, in a way it is, um, it's a type of meditation. Yeah. I would say like not in a, you know, I don't meditate in a, in a, in a, in a formal sense of, mm-hmm. of doing seated meditation every day or something like that. But there is, I think techniques that 
are applicable, such as you know breathing, um, and th- so that that's something that I'll just kind of sit there and okay, just focus on on breathing sure. right now. Do something that's really easy to to you know not. I guess not intellectualizing too much and not getting too, you know. Thinking ahead. Like you were saying, you knew exactly how much you had to do in that range. Yeah. And not going there. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And kind of giving yourself a chance a little bit. Like it's it's being kind to yourself, really. Like yeah. you're doing something that's hard. And so just, just give yourself a bit of a break, too. And just say, like, okay, I can... This is okay. Like I'm doing all right, you know. Just uh, and it's just focusing on anything that you can sort of improve. That it, stuff works. It does. It really does. I, I saw an interview years ago with uh, Jason Schlarp, the, mm-hmm. the runner, and he was talking about Run Rabbit Run and when he won it the first time. And he was, it was an I Run Far interview, and, he, and the guy was asking how to do it, and he said he forces himself to smile. Yeah. And you know my. I've done I've done a hundred. I've done a bunch of fifties. It's more like walking than running. But but my my technique used to be grit my teeth yeah. and almost get angry. Like hurry up, go, yeah. don't be. You know. But net, but I changed to that smiling and force and and it made the biggest difference and so much more efficient use of energy. Yeah, in, in my world, I think no. I think it's a, it's a good point. And I, I, for me, for me, there's a lot of it's just about observing. Um, you know, sometimes I'm feeling rage. And, and, and it's not my default at all. It's not, I'm not somebody who's like, yeah. you know, that's just not who I am really, but it, it, it comes up sometimes, you know? And, and so I, I think it was interesting on this trip to just be, observe kind of what your body's going through when it's you're really interesting. Yeah. And your mind too. Yeah, you can be very vulnerable and, and just opening up to those things. And, and you're, you know, you're by yourself. So there's, there's not, your analysis is limited because it's, it's, you don't necessarily have that, you know, outside perspective. Um, but at the same time, you can still kind of look at yourself and observe yourself and think like, okay, I'm reacting in this way because of this. And all of a sudden it just, it's a slight shift in perspective Mm -hmm. that makes all the difference. Snaps you out of it just a little bit. And it's not, it's, it's hard sometimes, you know, I, I think that there's, there's triggers like someone would, honk at me on the on the on the road or something and it's it's complete like a rational response to it like ah, you know like what, you know i'm allowed to write, you know like sort of write this right and and it, it, it but it's but then i think like okay just calm down it's you're just in this state of of being a little bit um on edge but it's also a really interesting um moment to sort of observe your reactions yeah. and how you're, you're, you're feeling. So I spent a lot of time actually, um, you know, in this kind of process of self-analysis. It's a, so oh, I do too. Yeah. And, it's, and the, the thing is, it's, it's refreshing, but it's also a little bit frustrating is that you're never going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, until the, your dying day, you're always going to be, get, you get more data, you can figure out how you act a little bit more and then move on. You're always getting better, but you're never, yeah. You know, you never got it all figured out, <laughs> which is, I think what's compelling about, you know, the, the getting out there and, 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 and challenging yourself in, in these different oh, ways, sure. because there is so much to learn and it is a continuous sort of like, um, opportunity to, to, you know, to sort of, that's exactly why I do it. I mean, obviously it's on a preschool level compared to what you do, but it's for that it's for the mental, uh, the, the, the mental growth you get from it. Well, I think you could just go to the gym and lift weights or whatever and get in shape. But the for me personally, the mental growth and just kind of the, everything you were saying, being observe your mind and uh, just become a better person. That's that's why totally. And I think there's you know it's all stepping stones. Like I don't think there's any better or you know there's there's just there's the place that you are in your life at this at this point in time. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I feel that to me this project corresponded to kind of where I was mm-hmm. or where I am in life. And so it was a, it was a reasonable challenge, but it was definitely a challenge. It was definitely something that was going to pull me out of my comfort zone yep. and make me grow and learn something. If I had done this, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, I, I probably wouldn't have had the same mental disposition to be able to do it. 
and it, it might have been nearly too difficult, mm-hmm. not necessarily physically, mm-hmm. but just mentally. I not I don't know if I would have been in the right headspace mm-hmm. to to kind of to be there or to really grow from it. You know, it sure. could have been a quite a miserable experience um, if if I wasn't ready for it. I thought that after the Arizona Trail, I was like, this was the right time to do it. Okay, like I just kind of mentally was. It was exactly sort of um, where I needed to be yeah. to do this event. Had I done it even the year before, like last year, I don't know necessarily if it would have worked out the way it did. So it seems like you, you're always you're obviously setting physical goals um, for these you know these big events and big everything from the Hard Rock to the 14ers, and it seems like you've done that for years. Mm-hmm. But so you're obviously goal oriented. But you also seem to be very process oriented mm-hmm. and in the moment oriented. So how do you balance those two? Because I would think, especially that when this is how you make your living, it could be very easy to just get completely focused on the goal and nothing else. Yeah. So how have you how have you found a way to balance it? Because you you really seem to to be able to enjoy it even in the even in, in the hardest parts. Yeah, I think the the goal offers a framework. You know, it's 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 basically a commitment that um, I think that in one of the questions you mentioned related to this was say like the the, the book taking a picture every day. You know, yeah, that's the, like you, I notice you'll you'll have goals like that. Take a picture every day or yeah. write a certain amount every day. Yeah, um, which I think is really, I do that same kind of stuff. Well, the the cool thing about it is that the, the objective. I guess is to try and, you know, it's to try and reach that goal of being able to take a photo every day. But then the, 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 the process, uh, the 365 days of doing it, you know, is what becomes the learning experience sure. at the end. Well, I just, I'm, I've finished it, <laughs> you know, it's done. it's done and sure you've, but, but it's actually the process. And as it's unfolding, when you're really, um, learning to say hone your craft or you're learning it's to a practice, Exactly. Daily practice. That daily practice, I think, is is what's is what's transformative. Um, if you're also focusing on, you know, a single event, a single day, or a single moment as your ob- objective, if for whatever reason that doesn't happen, mm-hmm. then you know what's the point? Like you could get injured. It could there could be like a terrible weather. It could be you know the event could be canceled. I don't know. Like mm-hmm. you could get sick. There's just all these reasons why the actual goal could not you know be attained basically and so if your only focus is projecting towards that then you kind of forget about the process Mm -hmm. and the the, then you get there and you're disappointed because you've dropped out of the race or Mm -hmm. you've so to me it's like making uh the process i would say interesting enjoyment is only one part of the equation in yeah, my mind i heard a quote from somebody recently said people often confuse comfort and happiness yeah that's a that's a good and quote i think yeah. it's i think that's especially true in what you do because yeah there's a lot of times you're not comfortable and you're not happy out there but mm-hmm. in when you add it all up at the end of the day or the end of the month you're you're fairly content with it i would think totally and i think it's 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 you know, there's a lot of complexity to life and there's a lot of um, interesting things outside of just um, having fun, Yeah. you know, and I think that, that that is part of it. And I take a lot of um, joy out of, you know, there's out of, um, you know, running and climbing and biking and all these things. Um, but it's the same with, let's say, reading or, or taking photos or things like that. It's it's not always just fun. You, you, you know, there's this other learning kind of component yeah, to it. Yeah, you got to be stretching that comfort zone. Right. You and, have to. Yeah, and so I think so. I think it's important to see in the process that um, I, I don't know. I'd be surprised if anyone would just go out for for even you know a casual run and say the whole time it was just absolute you know complete bliss you know mm-hmm. of just sort of. Uh, and and it's great is sometimes maybe that does happen occasionally but for the most part the exception yeah the process there's there's some there's some something interesting about effort and and kind of being a little bit uncomfortable and there's you learn from that and i yeah i just um i don't know i think that's what's fulfilling at the end of the day it's i i love uh yvonne chenard the guy who started patagonia Mm -hmm. i just think he's such an interesting guy and 
I think every all the advice he gives is counter to the normal business advice you learn in business school. Whatever. And I saw yep. a quote from him one time, and he was talking about process versus goal, yeah, and or pro- ends versus means. And he said, in the end, everybody's dead. Right. So the only thing that matters is process. Yeah. And I think that's a that's an interesting way to look at. It. A little gruff, but uh, interesting. And true. No, I mean it's it's completely true, and I think it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's funny because you say like I'm, I'm a goal-oriented person. I actually wouldn't describe myself that way. Mm-hmm. I I set goals, but it's really a, a framework. And I has t- that changed when you were say no. ten years ago? No, not at really? all. Yeah, I've always been very much um, about the process. And but it's also just um, it doesn't mean that I don't take the goal seriously. Sure. And but you I, just see it as a framework or as a yeah it's, it's a it's a reason to let you have these experiences moving moving towards yeah them. it's kind of having a vision and being able to project and say well this is an ideal sort of you know trying to be like a better person for example sure. you know you you want to you want to you have you want an ideal you want something of like you, you'd look at say I don't know like the Dalai Lama and mm-hmm. say wow that's a an exemplary human being you yes. know somebody who you could aspire to <laughs> to be like but you don't want to be the Dalai Lama, Lama. you sure. want to be yourself um, with traits that are, you know, noble or, you know, or that are, um, and so it's kind of working towards, I think, just um, an ideal, which is where the goal comes in. That makes sense. Um, like working towards, and it can be something as basic as like working towards a time or a finish or something at a race to put it in the endurance context. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's a nice way to say, okay, because I'm shooting for this, I'm going to have to elevate my process. Uh-huh. Right, I'm gonna have to get better yep. because my my goal is is this higher aspiration, right. you know, and so it pushes the process. So both feed they kind of both feed each other, really, you know. Very cool. You need to write a book about this stuff. More <laughs> people need to hear it. So I'm very interested in your background as well and kind of how you came to this this outlook you have. So mm-hmm. where did you grow up? I grew up in France. Um, I moved to my parents moved to France when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And um, my sister was one, so I have a, a little sister. Okay. And uh, they're both English teachers, um, and they moved from the UK. I was born in Oxford, England. Okay. And um, lived in France uh, essentially through college. I went to college in France. Okay. And then did uh, did an exchange program to Durango, um, to Fort Lewis College, oh, nice. and met my wife there. Um, and I also had a little um, some family in the U.S. Um, so there was a kind of a, a connection um, there as well. How did having that international perspective from a young kid, how did, how did that affect your outlook? I think it affected a lot because from a, it was interesting being in France growing up, I was always considered like the, 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 the Brit. I was, I was, we were never really, I mean, we, I was there at such a young age, learned the language as, you know, completely bilingual. Um, and it wasn't, you know, you're not trying, you're just, you're just put into, I was put into school and six and figured it out. Yeah. And that's what you do. And when you're that age, it's, it's, it's quite easy to, to, to learn, um, to learn quickly. But, um, I, I was a little bit always the, and, and my family was that way. We were always like, oh, you're the, the, the English people, uh-huh. you know? And then we would go back to the UK and it was like, oh, but you know, you're the, the Frenchies kind of thing. <laughs> but, but even on a, on a practical level, you know, if we didn't, we didn't follow really my, my parents didn't have, um, all the sort of French cultural sure. th- things at home, like, you know, music or tea, you know, it's just not what they grew up with. They grew up with the British, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> background. So, so that was, a. Uh, an interesting mix of always feeling like a bit of a visitor, you know, in, in places. Um, but it also made me feel just kind of comfortable in that. Versatile. Yeah. Plug in where you need Exactly. To. Quite. Fl- I think it, it definitely helps with being, being more flexible with, um, with travel and meeting people and, and just understanding other cultures mm-hmm. and, and just because you have had to do that. I've had to do that, you know, from a very sure. young age, it's, it's, uh, it's something that somewhat comes naturally, you know, to, 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 to have that flexibility. I wish Um, there was a way that kids could be required or even, you know, 18 to 22 year olds be required to spend six months in a, in a foreign country. Cause I feel like the, it's amazing. Yeah. The amount of personal growth and the broadening of your perspective. Well, the funny thing is, is after high school, I finished high school, um, you know, so when I was 18 and then I went to, um, I took a gap year, um, and came to the U S for a year. Where uh, did you end up? 
my grandparents were living in Indianapolis at the okay. time, so I spent um, six months there, and then I went to uh, California um, to travel, and then I traveled on the East Coast too. So I kind of I worked for six months, saved up some money, nice. and then just kind of did this big. Um, I was I was into a, to, to rollerblading and yeah you know, it was big back then awesome. yeah exactly yeah, so 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 I was going I was I traveled around to do that and then and then it kind of just opened my eyes to a lot of things like I, I did on the East Coast I went to all these different you know, all the museums and all the sites and I just got really I was reading a lot at the time and it, it just being in that different environment and having all that sort of new stimulation sure. um, really hit me you know. Um, but what was interesting, it was for the, for, Fran- for the French, it's, it's really odd to take a gap year. Is it really? Yeah. So it was this thing like, oh no, you could have this like, you know, hole in your resume. And I was like, I'm 18, you know, I don't have a resume. Uh, like I sort of, <laughs> my, so, yeah. So that was an interesting like conflict, you know. Why do you, how do you, who do you credit with giving you the confidence to say, well, I, I don't have a resume or, or the, I guess, confidence or maturity it seems like you had a more mature outlook. You did more. You definitely did than I when I was eighteen. Yeah, so I don't know your if, folks. I don't. I think in in retrospect, you know, I, I can think about it in a. It seems sort of mature, but in my mind, it was like cool. I'm gonna go to California, you know, to go skating, you know. Um, so, so I think as a kid, I mean, there was definitely it was a there was definitely points of of kind of I don't know like not awakening that's a bit strong but of, of moments of like realizing like oh yeah there's a bigger world out there um i would probably credit my 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 grandfather in the u.s um he um he i remember him telling me like you know you got to stop kind of messing around with with this skating stuff and you know kind of become a man basically uh-huh. and and it didn't really hit me until i I left and started traveling by myself yep. and exploring, and then it kind of was like, oh yeah, there is this this bigger world out there uh-huh. that's you know, because you grow up. I grew up in a, it's a fairly small little community, and and you know you get that small town kind of kind of feel, and sure. you you, but still being fortunate to travel to the UK and some some to the US, yep. and so I was exposed a little bit in that way, um, but yeah, um, my mom's been maybe when my parents came over to to uh to france it was a pretty i wouldn't say risky uh, decision but it was definitely you know a decision that involved kind of selling the the house that they had sure and basically coming over with a truckload of stuff and starting um to teach english and hope that it worked out you know so that was kind of an ambitious um uh you know um decision and yeah with a family in tow yeah with the kids and you know that's that's a whole different deal there yeah, it's two of us, and but it was it was it was quite simple, you know. And the other thing that's important is to 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 say is that the you know the French system kind of allows that, you know. We, we're, there's a lot of help for um, you know if you break your leg, you you've, you're taken care of, you know. Yeah. There's not these there's not the same precarious kind of lifestyle that I mean the U.S. has all these opportunities and everything's very you know open and all of that, but. Man, if you know if something goes wrong, it's it's kind of all on you. Where's you're, this? You're on your own. Yeah, the French system. It's like you know, school's free, and and then the healthcare system, and so there's a lot of these basic needs that allow you to be um, pretty um, minimal, I guess. You know, in your lifestyle, and you know that you're going to be sort of taken care of. You know, but my wife and I lived in Central America for a year for her work, and that was the. And I was 30 when we moved here, 31. Yeah. And it was a life-changing experience. It's, you know, it's Costa Rica. It's not like we're living in sub-Saharan Africa or something. Sure. But just the simplicity of it. Yeah. That was the biggest takeaway I, I took. And, you know, you come back here and you go to the grocery store and there's three aisles of bottled water. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do we really need all this? It's and, an interesting, yeah. I mean, in, in, on one hand, it's there's all these opportunities and, yeah. it's, and it's everything's... There, there is that kind of, you know, the American dream sort of concept that you can kind of do whatever, but it's, it's not that simple, you yeah, know, I and it's the, not that... The yeah. global perspective allows you to pick and choose, um, yeah. and you, you don't just accept the system because it's the system. You, you can kind of question it and yeah. act accordingly, or at least that was my um, indication. So you were talking about your mother did I see on social media recently that she ran 100 miles she did she did that's so awesome it is awesome <laughs> it's just kind of how old is she she is uh, she was born in 58 so what's that um, 
Um, 62? No. Not quite, right? Is it done? Um, wait. Two, really? 58, 58, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. 58. Yeah. My math's terrible. Man, I can't do math without Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. Well, there we go. So we've accepted, yeah, my mom's 58. Um, yeah, and so she started running um, in her, I think it was early early 50s, so not, not so long ago. That is awesome. And, you know, did a couple half marathons, did a few marathons, and, and uh, then some 50Ks, and I think that the big the big thing was that she was just very um, she was very casual about it, uh-huh. but genuinely interested. So genuinely, there was this kind of intrinsic motivation to do it. Yep. So it wasn't anybody forcing her to go out and run. It was just kind of like, oh, this is this is fun. She joined a, a running club group in in town, and there's a great you know great group of people. And then um, and then would come to my races and and, and support that and. Yeah, I just gradually got more and more into it. And I remember, I think it was last year, she said, you know, I just kind of want to see what it feels like to run for 30 hours. That's and I was so like, cool. wow, that's awesome. And and it was, I, I knew that she could do it. Like mentally, she's just kind of, um, she's really strong that way and can commit to, um, you know, a project. And I think it's it just comes a lot. It's a very, um, she's a very genuine person. Mm-hmm. Um, so when she's saying that she wants to do this, there's no... There's no ego involved. There's That's no, rare. Yeah, it's just very much of a, I, I want to do this and, and and see if I'm capable kind of of doing it. So I think That's that, where your, your process must come from. Yeah, that sounds very similar to your outlook. It, it is, yeah. I think there's there's that genuine kind of piece that, that I think really helps mm-hmm. because when things do get hard, you're sort of out there. For, I, th- I think you can you can feel like you're out there for the right reasons. Sure. You know, and I... And it was hard. She had some IT band issues and had to walk a lot, and but just just kind of embraced it and got it done, and and, so and had a and a great a great experience. So yeah, I'm su- I'm super, you know, um, proud of her and just like happy that she she experienced that. You know, it's, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> that is a huge. No matter how you shake it out, that is a huge accomplishment. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so your your family obviously has had a huge influence on you. Or do you have any other mentors or role models? And they could be people you've read about or, or people you actually know. When you think about people you admire, does anybody come to mind? Dalai Lama, I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think it's a lot of people depending on the, the period of my life and different different moments in time. Sure. You know, there's there's just there's just times when I'll read something that just really resonates with me. Um, I don't idealize people, you know, idolize people. I just, I feel like there's a... I'm I'm inspired um, by by what people do, and um, so it's it can be anything from just a you know a friend uh, doing something really thoughtful, you know, or really sure. uh, genuine and kind, and being like, oh, that's a really like good quality, you know. Yeah, I can think of um, like you might know Jeff Rose. Yeah, um, yeah. Know, from, from I don't know him, but I, I know exactly who he is. Yeah, so. he's. Uh, He's somebody that just kind of comes to mind, and just um, how he carries himself as a person is mm-hmm. is, is is very. He's a very kind person, very genuine person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have there's there's a number of friends like that that I that I, I really look up to just their quality, you know, as people. Mm-hmm. So not I mean, there's obviously the bigger picture, great ideas, sort of um, you know, people have written great things. Sure. <laughs> um, but for me, what what speaks to me more is maybe that that more direct, genuine connection with people, mm-hmm. where um, I can just um, appreciate those qualities, and and that that kind of inspires me and think, oh man, you should be like trying to be a little bit a little bit better person, or sure. you know, just like so. I think that's I think that's more effective, really, because you know if you're surrounded by these people that you really admire and that you can make these small changes to be more like them yeah. uh, it, versus like I, I'm obsessed with Theodore Roosevelt yeah. and no matter what happens, I'm not going to be like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and so I think it's, I think that's a, a really good approach to take on that. Um, you meant, we've mentioned reading a ton. I usually ask the book questions towards the end, but are there any specific books that have played a big role in your outlook on things? I mean, I imagine it's like you were saying, it varies depending on your stage of life, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've, um, there's a Satish Kumar. He's a um, he's the editor of uh, Resurgence Magazine and The Ecologist, mm-hmm. which is uh, a, a, a published in the UK. Okay. Um, he used to be a Jain monk. Um, oh wow! And uh, has an absolutely fascinating story. And one of his 
I think it's his first book was called No Destination, and it's just a it's, it's essentially his autobiography. Um, and I, I you know remember reading that at a time where it just really really resonated with me, and still to this day I think there's a lot of his writing and just his, his kind of ideas that have, that have stuck with me. But I mean, there's so many like you know, Gary Schneider. Gary Schneider is always. I think been very influential for me um, over over the years. Um, Jack Turner has written a book called The Abstract Wild. I bring that that book up a lot. I think it's a it's a short little read, but it's a it's a really great book. Quite radical um, thoughts about the environment and um, yeah. There's who else? Um, uh, I, I read. Um, past couple years uh, Shadows of the Koyukuk have you heard of that book Um, I have not heard of that it's funny because normally when people tell me these books I've I've either read them or they're on my list but none of these are so this is awesome yeah that's a book I really enjoyed Um, um, then um, Shadow of the what Koyukuk okay Um, and you'll probably just have to google it and misspell it and then it will correct it for you (laughs) (laughs) can't do math I can't spell either but that's right. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, that was a, that was a that's a really fen- phenomenal read. Um, so yeah, mostly I read uh, kind of nonfiction, kind of biography, kind of you know. Sure, that's exactly what I do. Sure, that's. I wish I could read more fiction, but I, sometimes I feel like I'm. There's such an opportunity to learn stuff in nonfiction, but there is fiction too. I think fiction is amazing. I just, I don't I I don't connect with it as much. I, for a while, I I was really into Hubert Selby Jr., which is super dark yeah. and you know, last exit to Brooklyn kind yeah. of um, very. I really like his writing style, which is very graphic and a lot of detail and just he picks really interesting words yep. as, as descriptors of yep. things. Um, so there's there's books like that that's that are fiction, you know, that I think are are, are great. But overall, I mean, you only have so much time exactly. to to read, so I tend to. Um, I tend to gravitate mostly towards nonfiction, and yep. and yeah. Um, so, a lot of the the people who listen to this podcast, they they just have a love of the American West, no matter what, the, whether they're in the ranching world or the conservation world. Um, you know, writers, athletes, and so your a lot of your um, events and your activities and your lifestyle, it seems to have. You obviously have a love of wild places, love of Colorado, love of the West, and then it seems like there's a some sort of conservation ethic going through it um, that kind of threads them all together. Sure. Self-powered adventures. Yeah. So, what does the word conservation mean to you? Because it, it can mean a million different things to a million people. Yeah, I think for me, it's a, an understanding of, of kind of the the relationship that um, people have with the land, and essentially just. Um, you know, understanding like the history of, of the land and history of, of, of the, the people in, that, that, you know, live here and, um, and kind of our, our, our inter- interdependence, you know, with yeah. the land. Um, a really basic example is, uh, so we live in Gold Hill and uh, we have a 14-foot hand-dug well. Mm-hmm. In, and that's our water supply. And wow. so, you know, it's filled by, you know, the, t- the water table. And, you know, you can kind of look down the well and see exactly where things are at, you know. Um, and it's, it's been an interesting relationship with water, you know, and just kind of it's not just when you turn on the faucet. It's coming from right in the yeah. backyard, uh, rather than so. There's, there's, uh, you're sort of bridging a little bit that gap of the disconnect that you can have in a city with city water, just turning on the faucet and there's water, sure. you know. And you know when we run out of water, or if uh, during the floods when everything's sort of oversaturated and you see the water table is really high, you just get a really um, close connection to to what's going on. And I think that that um, is one of the kind of central parts of like sort of how I look at conservation is trying to you know kind of understand the processes and be in contact with the process you know Um, and then the more that that happens I think the more that you can have like this this appreciation for um, you know wanting to preserve um, resources not so much as relics and things to just kind of like fence off and look Mm -hmm. at but but how we you know um, 
interrelate, you know. Yeah, find that balance between yeah. responsible use and then keeping it around for future generations. Yeah, and, and you know, the I think that, you know, like the Dakota pipeline and, and the indigenous people is like... Um, response to that as protectors of the waters and you know and and that's something i can really relate to and and you know so i would say that that's how i would frame my my you know yeah that's a great answer I, I agree with all that um so i've got some we've already been talking for close to an hour i can't okay. believe that so <laughs> i don't want to take all your time even though I, I definitely could drill you with questions for the rest of the day um so I've got some of these kind of quick questions that I go through. You don't have to give quick answers, but is there a back of books real quick? Is there a, a favorite book you have related to the, the West, the American West? Um, I mean, Gary Snyder's poetry probably. Cool. I think would be would be you know um, top of my list. That's um, great. Yeah, David uh, Gessner recently wrote the. Um, what is it called? The All the Wild That Remains? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah, it's a great book. Actually, his previous book, uh, The Prophet of Dry Hill, uh-huh. have you read that? No, I haven't read that. That's, that's, I've read all of his other books, though. Yeah, so it's about John Hay, uh, um, and uh, it's, 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 it's just, I really like his style he of great? writing. Yeah. He's hilarious. Yeah. There's, have you read uh, My Green Manifesto? I haven't, no. That's good. Okay. That's really good. I'll check that out. So he, um, he's from, he lives in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he teaches at UNC Wilmington. Mm-hmm. And one of my good buddies is a very talented writer, and Gessner was his professor. Oh, nice! And yeah. so I'm actually going to try to get him on. on the oh, podcast great! Because that that all the while that remains, I think, is one of the best overviews of issues related to the American West that yep. I've ever ever read. Combined with a double biography. Right, right, right. Yeah, really good read. Very just dynamic kind of. Yeah, that's a great. One. I'm yeah. glad you mentioned that. Yeah. Do you have any favorite documentaries or films? Mm. Um, oh gosh uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there is <laughs> I just nothing really comes to mind right now that's probably good um, you're not staring at screens all day long yeah I mean I definitely watch you know I watch Netflix and all you know that kind of stuff sure. but it's it's uh, nothing really standing out quite right now yeah yeah that's cool um, is there some other activity you enjoy that You'd be that people listening would be surprised to hear you enjoy. Um, I guess rollerblading, but I don't. I don't. <laughs> you I still have, do it? No, no, no. I haven't, I haven't. You should break them out. Yeah, I should. I haven't skated in like literally probably I don't know twelve years, ten. Those maybe. things disappeared. They were, yeah. they were awesome. Yeah, but it's a not. It's a, it is a thing that I occupied a lot of my teenage years, you know, and so it was. Uh, like what kind of stuff? Tricks like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the '90s, you know, and it was it, that was that was it was that was what was happening, you know. And those but, things are fun. Yeah, it's really it's really fun. So, but I mean, it's not really an activity that I yeah I don't I don't do it anymore or anything. But that was a fun thing as a kid. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so this will be interesting. What's the craziest thing that's ever happened to you in the outdoors? It could be scary. It could be funny. Just some. Weird. Yeah, I think probably stuck stuck by a mountain lion um, on Mount Rainier um, really? for yeah an hour and a half. That was a uh, that you was you could a, see you could see the mountain. Yeah, lion. yeah. We just uh, it was I was running the Wonderland Trail uh-huh. and um, it was in the middle of the night and um, yeah it was uh, it was a full moon so we'd kind of go in and out of these um, you know in and out of the trees and you can just see this this mountain lion. So that was a, a pretty. Um, stressful moment just it's funny because there was no aggression from the cat or anything it was more just all my well the fact that it's following me and then also just all your preconceived notions of what it could do and then it's dark on top of that yeah and you're and i was depleted and tired and because i've just been running you know all day and so it was it was this uh definitely a difficult (laughs) situation um i've never seen a mountain lion i've seen every other animal but I've never seen one, I, and I've heard that's a good thing because when you, if you see it, it wants to be seen. Yeah, like, it's like, there's one on Sunshine that you could uh, you might be able to catch. You can see it on the on the um, they have a it has a collar. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it's female and a uh, big cat. And with my wife and I, you know, driving up Sunshine Canyon, we've seen it a couple times, and and she. Wow. She's she's big, um, but you can you know she's got the big collar on, and I think you can find her online and see, it's kind of really yeah. I'll look that up. And there's some uh, 
there's uh, she has kittens every year and it's yeah so there's there's some spots you know where... I'll put links to all these things we talk about in the notes so, okay. so I'll put a link to the cat yeah um, there was one that was in the alley back there a, a year or two ago behind my house yeah and uh, the everybody kept seeing it and seeing it and then a few days later uh, all these signs went up around the neighborhood um, and it said missing peaches the cat <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah. I think Peaches uh, was an appetizer for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scary. Um, this is kind of a nerdy question, but I'm interested to hear. if Is there one piece of gear you have that it doesn't have to be anything fancy, but just a piece of gear that you can't live without? Like for, for me, the, I have the Houdini jacket by Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. And it's just so simple, but it's so awesome. Yeah. And I, I use it. Every time I go out, I take it with me. Is there some piece like that for you? Well, I th- I would probably say, I'd probably say my shoes actually, mm-hmm. just because they are like sort of your connection to the ground, and you know, it's in the foundation of everything you do. Yeah. So in in you know when you're running in the mountains, it's it's kind of you know the the rubber, the grip, the you know all of that. It's it's if if there was a single piece of gear that's kind of essential i think it kind of starts there for me mm-hmm. you know yeah, um, and there's i mean there's other things that i think are comparable in terms of importance like like a little windbreaker like sure. that is actually a, you know something that i carry with me most of the time sure. um but yeah i probably start with you know uh, a good pair of running shoes yeah um, that makes sense yeah um and so the shoes that you're running in now they'll be out in the spring, is that what you said? That's yeah. One the one model that I used for the first part of the trip, okay. um, the Scarpa Spin, and then the the Adams are available right now. Okay, I'll put um, links to those too. Yeah. Um, if you had to pick, this is a hard one. Your favorite location in the American West, specific mountain, trail, town, lake. Is there one spot that comes to mind? Mountain, I'd go Long's Peak. Yeah. Um, I I really like where I live. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, I mean, it like I said, you know, with the 14 years, it was like, I just, I, I love Colorado. I've, I've always loved Colorado. Mm-hmm. I, I first came here when I was 12 years old, um, uh, to Aspen actually with my, my grandparents for a short vacation. Oh, nice. And, uh, remember just being kind of completely enamored by the bells and, and, uh, and then when I moved to, to Durango for the year, uh, on the exchange program was like, wow, this is, it's just always had immediately I've had this connection with, um, Colorado. So, um, but as far as mountains, Long's Peak, just yeah, it's the closest to home. It's I think it's a really amazing mountain, and it's it's, it's complex. It's got a lot sure. going for it. So that's a good one. Yeah. Um, if if you had to say what what you think the biggest challenge or opportunity and or opportunity facing the American West in the next twenty years, what would you say it is? I think the uh, privatization of land. Mm-hmm. I think that that is. Um, of the selling of public lands is a huge, huge topic right now and could be extremely problematic. Yes. Um, I think it redefines everything, basically. It does. Um, and so I think that in terms of that will influence everything else. Yes. I think the opportunity is to <laughs> basically realize how important it is to keep these lands public. Sure. And, you know, the... That reaffirm why you know that's the case you know yeah. from the start and so I think that that to me is one of the pivotal sort of um, I agree with that and yeah. nobody's mentioned that uh, Brady Robinson the access the direct, executive director of the access fund he he briefly mentioned that we kind of ran out of time and um, so I'll put some links to that because that's a huge issue it's a huge issue I mean I, water is the first thing that came to you mm-hmm. would come to mind but I think beyond that this like would it just changed things so dramatically in in in, in the way that I and I don't think we even realized quite how oh, yeah. bad it would be. Well, and water um, is such a broad issue, and it's hard for people to get their heads around it. But this is an issue that is is pressing right now. Yeah, and there's a lot of good info online about what the implications would be. So I think that's a very timely one. Yeah, hopefully they'll get it figured out. And so, one more question. Um, or two more questions. If you could make a request of the people listening to this, and again, just people who love the American West, what would it be? Ah, uh, gosh, a request. I, um, I, I, you know, I think just just to um, to 
to get out, get outside and, and, and enjoy, you know, and, and, and enjoy this uh, amazing, you know, amazing area that we live in. I agree. Um, and then and, and tr- treat it respectfully, um, you know. <laughs> that's how you start conservation. I mean, that's how I got started is I came yeah. out here when I was 16 yeah. for a trip, at Ar- you know, base of Mount Princeton. Yeah. And that got it in me. And now, you know, I do a lot of land conservation for my job. And I think it's all because I got outside. Yeah, I think it's not it's not about being preachy. It's just about you know showing people like the the opportunities that are there and and being outside. You're it's it's difficult to deny sort of the beauty and the you know how the, how amazing things you know are out here. If you know, and so I think just getting yeah getting people exposed to that is 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 great. Get out there. Um, so how can people connect with you? Um, it, you've got awesome social media. So what's, what's the best way for people to find you? Yeah, so my website's alpine-works.com. And then all my social media handles are alpineworks, okay. basically. So most active on Instagram and um, the website. So, um, but yeah. And you write a column for I Run Far? I do as right? well. Yeah, okay. so a monthly column called From My Doorstep, um, which uh, I actually write in. You're a great writer, by the way. Oh, thank you. It's uh, writing is so hard for me. I, I, it's kind of like money, you know. It's it's hard, but it's, it's good. It, it is. It makes it's... me feel good. When I'm done with it. Yeah. Um, all right, man. Well, thank you so much. That was that was great. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. So there you go, Joe Grant. Super interesting guy, and I, I really enjoyed that conversation. I think Joe's interesting on a lot of different levels. Obviously, the, the athletics is is fun to talk about, but the, the reading and his thoughts on process, his thoughts on goals, um, all great stuff that I think could be applied to anybody, whether you're into ultra running or not. Um, so thanks, Joe. I, I appreciate you taking the time. I know you got a lot going on. Thank you to all of you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. As always, if you know of anybody who would be interesting for me to interview, don't hesitate to reach out. All my contact info is on the webpage. Um, also, if you have an extra 10 seconds, it'd be great for you to subscribe to the podcast and give it a few five-star reviews. Um, I understand that that does good things for the visibility of the podcast, so I'd appreciate that. More importantly, I'd appreciate it if you just passed it along to folks who may find it interesting. But again, thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. I'll talk with you soon.